Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. On board today, Wayne Moyer, professor of political science at Grinnell College. Hi, Wayne. Hello, Ben. Dave Peterson is with us. Uh, He is the Lucan Professor of Political Science at Iowa State University. Hi, Dave. Welcome back. Hey, Ben. Glad to be back. Uh, The day after our off-year elections, I'll be chewing through a lot of those election results, whether they be in key states. states, um, We had uh, abortion rights activists, advocates uh, winning big victories in three states yesterday, Ohio, uh, Virginia, and Kentucky. Uh, But we also had a lot of notable Iowa races there. Des Moines electing its first woman mayor, Connie Bozen. Uh, and uh, also the Metro Des Moines area voters uh, going blue yesterday in school board elections uh, after Democratic-backed candidates uh, sweeping uh, in Ankeny, Johnston, West Des Moines. Um, and uh, we'll uh, uh, look at the implications there, an interesting um, uh, battle over the public library, the independence of the public library in Pella, Iowa. Uh, these are all areas that we can talk about, and we invite you to join our conversation. What are your questions um, and the takeaways you have about yesterday's election results here in Iowa or in elsewhere in the U.S.? So what do you want to highlight? one 866 780 one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred, or email us river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Let's focus, if we could, uh, gentlemen, on those uh, key national races in Ohio. Voters uh, passing a constitutional amendment to guarantee abortion access. Uh, this makes Ohio the latest state. Uh, to take this step since uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned last year, we had voters in six other states backing abortion rights since Roe v. Wade overturned last year in 2022. Virginia, Democrats taking control of that General Assembly, meaning they can uh, stop Republicans led by Governor Glenn Youngkin from introducing new abortion limits. Uh, in Kentucky, voters re-electing a Democratic governor um, who attacked his Republican opponent for supporting uh, red states' near-total ban on abortion. Uh, let's go to you, Dave Peterson. First of all, what are you mm-hmm. highlighting uh taking away from those key national races before we turn to the Iowa races? I mean, you really hit the highlights there, Ben. It was a, it was a day and a night um, that, that signaled that abortion is still a central issue in American politics and that when it comes to abortion rights, uh, the majority of Americans uh, support them, that, that they're willing to turn out in relatively high numbers um, in efforts to, to make sure that the uh, the, the access to abortion or the right to abortion is 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 accessible to as many people as 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 possible. Mm-hmm. And just to throw this in here, of course, nothing on the ballot here in Iowa concerning abortion. But today, the Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd took action to defend uh, Iowa's heartbeat law in the Iowa Supreme Court, a law which protects unborn life once a doctor can detect a baby's heartbeat. Attorney General Byrd filing an appeal to uphold the law. Um, and the Iowa Supreme Court agreed to hear the appeal. Um, Reynolds making a statement on that. Uh Dave, implications for Iowa? Can we draw from the national scene on implications here in Iowa? 
Yeah, I mean, I you know, we we haven't had an election in Iowa yet post the the Dobbs decision where the the central sort of framing issue of the election has been abortion. Um and and so it's a you know part of the reason why we haven't seen this here is that that just hasn't been what our election's about. That the way that Governor Reynolds has responded to the Dobbs decision has been to you know not advocate for um, immediate laws, but to let the judicial process play out. Um, you know, I, I would wager that if there were an election where the, you know where essentially the 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 question in the election was you know should um, the state of Iowa um, have you know should should Iowans have access to to abortion medical care mm-hmm. um, it would probably that would probably pass here just as it has in so many other states. Mm-hmm. Wayne, um, comment on your uh, observations about yesterday's results. Well, one thing I think is going to come out of it, uh, a lot of other states, we're going to see efforts to have constitutional amendments uh, there as well on abortion. I think Arizona particularly comes immediately to mind. And uh, the trend is is so obvious that I don't think where there's been a referendum, uh, uh, anti-abortionists have won any of them. So I think we're going to see this. A couple of other things came out of yesterday's. I, there was talk that Glenn Youngkin might enter the Republican presidential nomination race if Trump falters at all. I think that's out now. And uh, Andy Bashir, the new governor of uh, continuing governor, the reelected governor of Kentucky, I think is likely to be a very promising Republican or Democratic candidate for president four years from now. Mm-hmm. Kentucky's a red state that reelects a Democratic governor, a state that Trump took by an enormous margin. And I and he's a very attractive, I think will be a very attractive candidate. Mm-hmm. Wayne, what do you see? Let me put the, you in the, the shoes of a Democratic strategist. What do you see in these results? I've seen warnings that Democrats, hey, don't overplay your hand here. Uh, uh, um, the, uh, the issue of abortion won't uh, won't win everything for you next year. Uh, no, uh, but but getting young, attractive candidates uh, who are energetic, uh, I think, and, and certainly including uh, support for abortion, but um, policy issues, personality, charisma, the, those things are going to be important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave, let me put uh, you in the shoes of a Republican strategist. What do you draw from yesterday? Uh, yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough question, right? Because you know we focused on abortion so far, but that's not the only thing that uh, seemed to matter yesterday, um, right? In the Pennsylvania Supreme Court election, the election focused, um, I think, largely on the question of um, election integrity um, and sort of revisiting the the, the election denial of, of 2020. Um, Brashears in Kentucky didn't only campaign on abortion; he also had vetoed the bill. Um, uh, that had uh, he he vetoed a bill that was uh, opposing trans rights, um, you know, and so the and, and and even in Ohio, the constitutional amendment legalizing weed or uh, legalizing marijuana did better than the constitutional amendment on abortion. So mm-hmm. it's it's not just abortion that's the only policy issue. It's there's a whole raft of things that when the election is about those issues. Right, the, the 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 Democrats or the left seem to do well. I will talk about Iowa's school board elections in a minute, but that seems to be the pattern there as well. So, if I was a Republican, um, 
I want to not talk about those things. Um, that, you know, the, the part of what we're seeing is that while Democratic issues might be quite popular right now, President Biden isn't. Um, and that there are concerns with Biden and there are concerns with his age, there's concerns with um, other sets of issues. Um, and that should be probably what the Republicans are talking about, though that doesn't seem to be what the Republican candidates are talking about. Mm-hmm. Join our conversation, one 780 Email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Dave, continue on talking about the school board elections. Democratic-backed candidates, uh, at least in central Iowa, the Des Moines metro area, Ankeny, Johnston, West Des Moines, um, uh, all winning. Um, These uh, school board uh, um, elections, uh, those elected to those posts, will help determine, I guess, how closely districts follow the legislature's new sweeping education reform laws, um, uh, laws that um, um, require students to use bathrooms corresponding with their sex at birth, uh, removing books containing sex acts from libraries. What, what do you see as the implications there, Dave? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it was a pretty clean sweep in Iowa, but also in the rest of the country from what I've been able to see. I mean, it's a little hard to get a lot of coverage of local school board elections across the country, but it seems like sort of nationwide, but particularly in Iowa, there's been the rejection of the candidates backed by organizations like Bombs for Liberty. Um, and instead, the candidates that did well were the ones that were backed by the teacher unions. Um, you know, So I think, obviously, the local schools have to abide by state law. Um, there's some implementation questions where the boards will mm-hmm. have some flexibility in what they can do. Um, but also a little more broadly, right, this is, I think, um, a signal of voters uh, in, in school boards also just wanting to support teachers, um, that the the teachers in Iowa, it's been a rough set of years for them in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, feeling attacked by some of these laws, the, the ways that they've had to manage the pandemic, um, and that a lot, I think, of what was motivating folks um, was this sense of we want to support our schools and we want to support our teachers and the 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 broader mission of of the local schools. Mm-hmm. Wayne, your thoughts on school board elections and, and, and also, as we heard in our news, none of the uh, Moms for Liberty candidates came out on top, did they? Um, I, I, I think that local school boards and teachers are certainly coming out ahead on these things. I, but I also think is there is sort of a rejection of political outside of the politicization, if you would, uh, of education. Mm. Uh, and um, I don't know how far this will go, but um, a sense that teaching students is really the important thing uh, and trying to to keep education out of of politics and 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 I think uh, the Pella Library issue was another thing where right. the city council wanted to take it over, uh, take over the policies there, and that was rejected by the voters. Yeah, fifty-one percent of voters in Pella casting ballots against a measure to give city hall officials in Pella oversight over the public library's actions and budget. Um, Ties in, uh, Dave, quickly before we go to break, ties into the national debate driven by conservatives over what books taxpayer-funded libraries should carry. Quickly, Dave, your comment. 
Yeah, that I mean the one of the if we're going to take a message from Iowa elections of, of yesterday, it's that um, parents and, and voters sort of want normalcy. They they don't like book banning. They don't like attacks on kids. They would like the the sort of normal function of government to sort of return back to normal. Okay, we'll be back with Dave Peterson of Iowa State University, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College, our two political scientists on this Politics Wednesday edition of River to River, um, one day after the off-year elections of 2023. If you have something, a point to raise, a question, join our conversation. Politics Day uh, continues after a short break, one 780 9100 River to River at iowapublicradio.org, our email. Uh, When we come back, we'll ask Wayne and Dave about our governor's endorsement of Ron DeSantis. That's when we return. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Your midstream in this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer, a Politics Wednesday edition with our guests, uh, our political scientists, Dave Peterson of Iowa State University, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College. Chip in a question or a comment about yesterday's election results, if you like, 1-866-780-9100, River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, let's move on to um, things uh, not related to yesterday's election, but uh, next year's election. In fact, uh, the Iowa caucus is coming uh, up in about two months' time. Uh, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds uh, touting Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor's accomplishments, uh, as she endorsed him for president on Monday. She said he believes he will be able to win the 2024 general election, while Donald Trump cannot I believe he can't win, Reynolds said of Trump in an interview, and I believe that Ron can, and that's a big reason I got uh, behind him. I want to play a little clip that lasts over a minute of of Reynolds talking about DeSantis um, uh, and uh, perhaps uh, ask Wayne and Dave to read between the lines, because I don't think Trump is mentioned in this entire minute, but it's clear that he's, he's a focus here. Let's listen to Governor Reynolds. We have a great group of Republicans that have stepped up, that put their lives on hold and their livelihoods on the line to help get this country back on track. And we owe each of them a debt of gratitude. As governor, I felt like it was my responsibility to provide all of the candidates a platform to share their message and vision with Iowans and help put their best foot forward. But I also believe that as a mom and as a grandma, And as an American, I could not and cannot sit on the sidelines any longer. We are living in unprecedented times, and there is just too much at stake. Our country is in trouble. The world is a powder keg. And I'm here to tell you, without a doubt, 
that Ron DeSantis is the person that we need leading this country. Governor Reynolds on Monday at a rally um, endorsing Ron DeSantis there, breaking with tradition, throwing her support behind a candidate, uh, not staying neutral here. Wayne, what are you hearing in that statement, and uh, what are your thoughts about uh, this endorsement? Well, a couple of things. One, I think she sees Trump's vulnerabilities, even with Iowa voters. And in some ways, this will be a test of... uh, uh, she's been very popular. She's been able to get pretty much what she wants uh, through the legislature. She's been very successful, was very successful in the last election. Uh, so this could make a difference even in, uh, in, in terms of the Iowa caucus. Um, the other thing, of course, is I think she's, her views are very close to Ron DeSantis' views. So in, in that sense, it's not at all surprising to me uh, on abortion and, and, and similar issues. Uh, it's not surprising to me that she's endorsed him. But uh, obviously, um, given, I think, Trump saying, this would be, Trump saying this would be the end of her political career, um, she obviously has a certain amount of courage coming out and uh, endorsing DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Dave Peterson, how might this endorsement shape the race before the Iowa caucuses, if at all. I'm I'm a little more skeptical that it's going to have much of a difference. Uh, I mean, Governor Reynolds is popular um, amongst Republicans in, in particular, but I don't think she's as popular as Donald Trump is amongst Republicans. Um, you know, that uh, this this might sway some of the folks from, you know, who are supporting Nikki Haley uh, into supporting DeSantis. But I don't think any Trump voters out there are going to be likely to change their mind over this. Um, you know, I think that the, that those folks seem awfully committed to, to Trump's uh, to re-election efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to our listeners. First, a correction. Uh, Jill writing, please correct the current language. Incorrect use of the word baby in the heartbeat and abortion and uh, comments uh, from before. It's a fetus in the stage where a heartbeat can first be detected. Um and uh, let's go to Patty. Patty and Pella uh, taking us back, I think, to the um, uh, the defeat of a, a measure to, uh, in Pella. Uh, Patty, what is your comment? Uh, my comment is, as you mentioned, that the city council and the mayor were in favor of changing the governance, and that's not true. They were opposed to it. It was a, a religious organization, a few individuals who were connected to Moms for Liberty, mm-hmm. who spearheaded trying to change the governance of the library. Okay, thank you. I don't think, um, I took my wording directly from the Des Moines Register. I don't think I made that comment, but thank you very much for your input. I know, but the register was wrong. <laughs> the register was wrong. Okay, very good. Thanks. Oh, for, absolutely. Thanks for clearing that up, thank and thanks so for listening in Pella, Patty. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. Uh, let's see, did, did Wayne or Dave, any other comments before we move on to uh, other um, things about uh, today's or, or election results that we're reading and digesting today? Let's move. No, on. I think we've I think we've hit the highlights. Okay, yeah. let's move on to uh, the, the former president's testimony. Um, this is in the New York civil fraud trial. The New York Attorney General Letitia James uh, last year suing Trump his adult sons, and their namesake company 
accusing them of dramatically inflating the values of real estate properties. This in order to get better financial terms with banks and insurers. Um, The judge here already ruled before the trial that uh, former President Trump and his company broadly committed fraud. Hearing the case without a jury will determine whether specific illegal acts occurred in the process and decide any uh, potential penalties. Now, um, we want to hear a little bit of the former president outside the courtroom. On Monday, uh, Trump uh, brought his signature bombast to the courtroom. Uh, He testified for hours. He delivered uh, extended um, meandering remarks, as reported, touting his business acumen, slamming the judge, defending his company, lashing out at the case, at his questioners, clashing with the judge, the judge uh, saying, this is not a political rally, this is a courtroom. Uh, The former president uh, spoke to reporters before taking the stand on Monday. Uh, Let's listen to some of what he had to say. Israel is being attacked while Ukraine is being attacked, while inflation is eating our country alive. I'm down here. And these are all political opponent attack ads by the Biden administration. Their poll numbers are terrible. We show what happened today. The New York Times and CBS came out with a poll that I'm leading all over the place. But uh, it's a very unfair situation. This is really election interference. It's all it is. This trial is ridiculous. The numbers are much greater than on the financial statement. Uh, we've already proven that. They said mar a worth $18 million. mar a worth anywhere from probably 50 to 100 times more than that. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. These are political operatives that I'm going to be dealing with right now. Uh, you have a racist attorney general who made some terrible statements. I mean, just see some more that came over the wires today. It's a very sad situation for our country. We shouldn't have this. This is for third world countries. And it's very unfair. Okay. Um, Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, spoke to the press following Trump's testimony on Monday. Let's hear a bit of that. He rambled. He hurled insults. um, But we expected that. At the end of the day, um, the documentary evidence, evidence demonstrated that, in fact, he falsely inflated his assets to basically enrich himself and his family. He continued to in- persistently engage in fraud. Um, the numbers don't lie. And Mr. Trump obviously can engage in all of these distractions. And that what is what exactly what he did, what he committed on the stand today, engaged in, engaging in distractions and engaging in name calling. Um, but I will not be bullied. I will not be harassed. This case will go on. New York Attorney General Letitia James. Um, let's keep these trials straight that uh, uh, have um, former President Trump at the center. Uh, this is the New York fraud trial. There are separate criminal cases against him in New York, Florida, Georgia, and Washington. Um, Dave, to you first of all, your takeaways from the court proceedings on Monday, what we uh, saw, um, heard, reported, there were no cameras inside the the courtroom allowed, but we did hear outside the courtroom what we heard there. What are your takeaways from what's happening and what it may mean for the future trials in which in which involve the former president? Sure. Um, you know, my having read the reporting about what happened in the trial, you know, Trump's statements that you played seemed completely disconnected from what actually happened in the courtroom. Um, you know, it's it's pretty clear 
that not only right not only has there already been the factual finding that they committed fraud, um, but some of the admissions he made about you know his engagement with the documents um, sort of undermined a lot of what his defense was that he had you know sort of contracted this out to to the accounting firms and those other things. Um, and, you know, he, he wants to make this all about politics. He cares um, about the electoral implications more than the legal implications of all of this. Um, you know, and, and ultimately it's a question of, to me, it's a question of are we a nation of laws, right? That um, do we actually hold powerful people in this country accountable when they break our laws? Or can the powerful people in this country um, break our laws with impunity? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that's what this, this sort of settles down to, to me. Wayne, your thoughts on the New York civil fraud trial testimony this week. Um, what strikes me as particularly interesting, and I think it builds on kind of what Dave is saying, uh, is the disconnect between what's going on in the courtroom, um, which is not followed closely by the public, uh, since it's, it's not being televised and Trump's statements outside the courtroom, which of course are reported by the media. So most of the public doesn't follow what's going on in the courtroom and hears only what Trump is saying outside the courtroom. And from my point of view, the public needs to know what's going on inside the courtroom in order to balance that with the things that Trump is saying outside the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I think in these later criminal trials, at least one of them does allow uh, video inside the courtroom. So we'll we'll take that in when it occurs here. Uh, Donald Trump has repeatedly said all these cases are meant to damage him uh, politically, electorally. They seem to be doing the opposite, at least based on the polling data that we have. Let's move into that area. Donald Trump leading President Biden in five key battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania. This is according to the New York Times-Siena polls released on Monday. Uh, Also, these polls uh, revealing that um, uh, Trump has eaten significantly into Biden's advantages among younger black Hispanic voters. Um, And also, Donald Trump appears to have room to grow, according to these poll analysts. Uh, More voters say they are open to supporting the former president than they are to backing him. Large shares of voters saying they trust Trump on the economy and on national security. Now, one uh, other uh, comment before I I let you two uh, dissect it a little bit with your thoughts. Uh, In this Times poll, about 6% of voters in battleground states, this would be enough to swing the results, said they would abandon their support for Trump if he were convicted on charges related to the January 6th Capitol riot and sentenced to prison. With that as a bit of a preface here, Wayne, what do you make of this good news in the polls for Trump, bad news for Biden? Well, the first thing I would say, this is an extremely early poll, and we have some considerable examples of earlier polls taken this far ahead of an election, which turned out not to be very indicative of of what came out of the election. I I do think that uh, Trump is showing a little bit of vulnerability and that people are, are paying attention to the trials. And if he is convicted, I mean, even a shift of a few percentages of, of the voters 
uh, in the swing states could make a very significant difference. So what comes out of the trials, I think, will be possibly a very important uh, part of the way people vote or influencing the way people vote. Dave, are you on board with that thought? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it is very early. I mean, it's a snapshot of what the race is now. Um, but we've got, we've got a long way to go. Um, you know, I'm always reminded about this time that in 1983, uh, Walter Mondale led Ronald Reagan, uh, 50 to 44 in national, in the Gallup poll. Um, I know we all vividly remember the Mondale presidency. Um, you know, so it, it's, there's a lot that can change. Now this isn't good. I don't want to be sanguine about this or suggest this is good news, you know, not bad news for Biden. It's terrible news for Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fact that he's lost support amongst younger black and Hispanic voters, um, means he has work to do. And the, and the numbers about the people who are concerned about his age, um, about his mental capacity, th- those are real. And, and he needs to work hard to win those voters back. Okay, but how? What can Biden do, Dave, to improve his position in a year's time? No, I mean, that's that's the question. Um, if I knew the answer to that, um, I'd become a political consultant and make a lot more money than I do. Um I think what he needs to do, A, is remind people what they don't like about Donald Trump, um, which is not the answer that that um, helps you know boost his numbers. But if he can pull Trump down, that'll help. Um, and B, he actually needs to campaign for office, right? I mean, you know, he's he's not being seen very much. It's he's uh, he's not the kind of president who's in the media every day, right? It's a stark contrast to President Trump. Um, when, you know, the news was led by him and by whatever he did every day, or even President Obama, who was much more sort of present during his presidency. Um, Biden needs to, to campaign to try to, to, to reassure folks that he can't, that he has done the job and that he can do the job. Mm-hmm. We're hearing, though, some Democrats panicked about a second Trump presidency. Um, uh, Wayne, uh, has the train left the station? Is there, or is there still time for others to challenge Biden for the nomination? Uh, I think it's too late uh, for anybody else uh, to get in the race and get in on the ballots in all 50 states. Uh, um, So uh, I think it'll be extremely hard for anybody else to within the party to make a substantial challenge to to Biden. Mm -hmm. In the few seconds before the break, Wayne, do you have any ideas to add to what Dave said about what Biden can do to improve his position? Um, I, I, I worry about that foreign policy and what's going on in the Middle East, and you may be coming back yes. to that later, is not going to help Biden at all in the election and, and may well work against him. Okay, we will indeed talk about that when we return with our final segment of this Politics Wednesday edition of River to River. Wayne Moyer, professor of political science at Grinnell College. He has a lot of foreign policy expertise we're going to draw on as we do talk about the Israel-Hamas war and its implications for our domestic politics. Dave Peterson of ISU, join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100, River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Back in just a moment. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Back with more of this River to River Politics Wednesday edition. I'm Ben Kiefer with our political scientists this week, Wayne Moyer of Grinnell College, Dave Peterson of Iowa State University. Uh, We ended that last segment talking about what could Biden do to change his very bad poll numbers in battleground states uh, in the next year. Steve from Mason City called to say he thinks Biden could use a voice coach. His voice quality just emphasizes his age. Sometimes he comes off only as his voice and not his ideas. Let's uh, move on to, in just a moment, talk about the Middle East, uh, the impact of that new war uh, here uh, on our domestic politics. But before that, Wayne and Dave, I'd like to ask you about a a Washington Post article I assume you read um, that came out this week, and I'll just quote the very first part of it. Donald Trump and his allies have begun mapping out specific plans for using the federal government to punish critics and opponents should he win a second term, with the former president naming individuals he wants to investigate or prosecute and his associates drafting plans to potentially invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. Um, uh, we, we have, uh, the, these are anonymous quotes that the Washington Post has uh, picked up, evidently Trump telling his advisors and friends in recent months he wants the Justice Department to investigate, investigate some of his officials that served in his administration, his allies who became critical of him, including, including former Chief of Staff John Kelly, uh, the former Attorney General William Barr, also the former Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Millie, um, Dave, uh, distressing here. What do you make of this report? Uh, distressing is an understatement, Ben. This is deeply scary. I mean, if if um, if our president does this, if this report is accurate, and we have a president do this, at some point, the sitting president of the United States using the Department of Justice to actively investigate uh his his perceived enemies is totalitarian stuff mm-hmm. um this is just so incredibly deeply concerning um that i almost want to believe it's not true yeah um wayne discussing uh, here according to this report in the washington post de- deploying the military to to quell potential unrest on inauguration day is that even constitutional uh, i I, I think it is not. I mean, the whole issue of rule of law um, um, is is in question if if this were actually to happen. Um, uh, and the, uh, sort of the uh, clearly the, the authoritarian direction uh, that's implied by all of this is frightening. Yeah, and you know th- this is not surprising. It wouldn't be surprising, let me say it that way, because we know in public the former president had vows, has vowed to appoint a special prosecutor to, quote, go after President Biden and his family. He's uh, frequently made uh, corruption accusations against them, not supported at all by any available evidence. Uh, so uh, what he has said in public may match this. This is a you know Washington Post reporting. Uh, we'll see. Uh, let's talk about the implications of uh, what is, is, is perhaps Israel's end game in the Gaza Strip. 
um, not being clear. This is a month after the beginning of that war. Uh, The Israeli prime minister on Monday saying Israel would control Gaza's post-war security for, quote, an indefinite period um, concerning to U.S. officials there. Uh, And then we had this development in the U.S. House yesterday voting to censure the only Palestinian-American member of Congress, Representative Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from Michigan, over her comments about the war. Wayne, open up this part of our discussion uh, about what's happening in the Middle East and how that's shaping our domestic politics. Well, I, 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 I think, it, first of all, in, in terms of what's happening, uh, I think Israel can only keep the bombing up that it's doing now for a, a, a short period longer. I'm not sure whether it's two or three days or whatever, but it's generating all sorts of hostility all over the world. I know why Israel's doing it. It, 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 it destroy the tunnels from the outside without having to fight your way through it. But in the process, you're... Uh, through the tunnels. So in the process, you're killing an awful lot of people, and it's very visible. Uh, and, I don't, and I think there's a great risk that Israel's going to get trapped in Gaza and not going to be able to get out. And um, then what happens? I don't think anybody knows. In terms of the political impact, I think this is splitting the Democratic Party badly. I think for the moment, Biden certainly has a lot of support but the left wing of the Democratic Party, many young people, many blacks, I think, uh, I'm, I'm less sure about Hispanics, progressive Democrats are very are sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, not to Hamas, but to the Palestinian cause. And uh, Biden is, of course, linked himself to hugging Israel. Uh, and I think those people are going to stay home uh, if this thing is still going on. Uh, they're not going to vote Republican, but if, uh, if you lose an important part of the Democratic coalition, it'll be hard for Biden to win. Mm-hmm. The New York Times reporting today that Hamas leaders say they waged their October 7th attack on Israel because they believe the Palestinian cause was slipping away and that only violence could revive it. Uh, Dave, your, your thoughts on this month-old war um, and... Uh, horrific images um, that reports we're hearing from uh, the Gaza Strip and its implications for our politics. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have coherent thoughts on the actual situation in Israel, um, you know, that that are worth sharing. Um, the second part I'll talk about, though, the, the, the implications here, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think this is just sort of going back to sort of, sort of some of the polling numbers, perhaps like this is this is part of the problem Biden faces. I think Wayne is 100 percent right that this is dividing the party in a way um, that is also unifying the Republican Party. Um, and, and that's part of the problem Biden is facing is holding his coalition together um, that as long as this is the sort of central defining issue of contemporary politics. Um, Biden's in trouble with that. Um, you know, some of this might be when you asked the sort of what can Biden do? Um, you know, m- maybe what he can do is communicate to the to the folks who are um, less supportive of Israel and more support, more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause that while Biden's not there, he's better than Trump. Right. That, um, you know, if if Trump were president 
I think the the U.S. policy towards Israel would be even less sympathetic towards the Palestinians. And the you know the lesser of two evils campaign slogan or a campaign idea is not great, but it for Biden's sense, he's got to hope it would be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to um, listener input here. We have a, a listener who wants to know, back to our Reynolds endorsement of Ron DeSantis, um, uh, he wants to know what uh, he has promised her for this endorsement um, or, or what she think she can gain from the endorsement. Dave, th- thoughts on that, on on why the governor has made this endorsement? and. Um, yeah, I mean, I I doubt there's been an explicit quid pro, quo, quid pro quo, right? I you know the I think the obvious place to go would be you know oh did did he promise her that she would be his running mate or something like that? And and I doubt that that's the case. Um, a I doubt DeSantis is really in the position to make that promise um, at this point. But more importantly, I, I think Reynolds, you know, I I, I take Governor Reynolds at her word um, on this that she really believes that DeSantis is a better candidate and would be a better president than, than former President Trump. Um, you know, that it, it's been a long time since an Iowa governor endorsed, but that's just a norm, right? There's nothing that prevents them from doing so. And, you know, norms don't seem to matter much in politics anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's finish up our program on politics today by talking about the uh, yet another GOP debate tonight. Only five Republican presidential candidates taking the stage. Uh, This one in Miami tonight. Uh, Former President Trump once again skipping this showdown. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum not taking the stage. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson also not qualifying. Uh, The RNC announcing the five candidates who met the standard. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, UN former UN ambassador Nikki Haley, tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Uh, Wayne, start us off. Um, what is what do you find significant about this third GOP debate, uh, given the the context of those poll numbers here in Iowa and nationally, with Donald Trump having such a commanding lead, at least in the polls. Uh, it seems to me we're almost at the stage of the last clear chance for anybody to have any hope of overcoming Trump's lead. Uh, I think there is a possible chance that one of them might break through. I'm, I'm particularly watching Haley. Uh, she's coming up in the numbers. She's got foreign policy experience as ambassador uh, to the United Nations. Uh, I think she's got a substantial amount of of money support. Um, uh, If she comes across very strong tonight, and um, speaking on the Middle East situation particularly, uh, it may very well help her. I don't know whether it'll be enough, but I, 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 I would particularly watch her to see. I think she has perhaps the best chance of making a breakthrough. Interesting you should say that, Wayne. I saw some analysis that um, said Nikki Haley seems to be channeling uh, the conservative voice of Margaret Thatcher, and that might be appealing to conservatives in this country. I don't know if if you agree with that. Well, I hadn't seen that, but... uh, 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 
I'm, I'm not quite as sure of uh, her economics would be the same as Margaret Thatcher's. Okay. But uh, certainly in terms of traditional conservatism, yes. Dave, over to you. Your thoughts on the GOP bait debate tonight? Um, yeah, I, I don't expect much to change with the actual debate. Um, you know, the cutting down on the field is probably the right decision. These are the candidates who are polling above negligible numbers. Um, you know, it's to me, um, I, I think Wayne's right that Haley is the one on the rise, um, and she might be drawing more support. Um, but DeSantis is the key to me, right? So, you know, we've been doing polling here at Iowa State and, and digging in a little deeper. Haley supporters are the people who are pretty opposed to Trump, right? They think that the indictments are based on, you know, that Trump has actually committed serious crimes. They believe that Biden won the 2020 election. Um, and the Trump supporters disagree with that vehemently, right? They think that Trump won the 2020 election and that Trump has done nothing wrong with the indictments. And the DeSantis supporters are in the middle, right? So if you give them a middle option like Biden won, but there were some irregularities, those are the folks supporting DeSantis. Or Trump has done something wrong but not committed crimes, those are the people supporting DeSantis. And so, um, you know, DeSantis is the one that seems more likely to maybe pull from Trump. And that's the key thing, right? Trump's at 50% plus. If, if, you know, Haley and DeSantis and these other candidates can trade voters back and forth, but unless they pull people from Donald Trump, they're not going to win. It's not even going to be close. And so, you know, DeSantis might be the one best positioned to make the meaningful change that can get him closer to Trump because he would be the one that would be dragging Trump down or dragging Trump's numbers down as well. Mm-hmm. We have a few minutes left uh, to talk uh, about, well, it, you know, after more than a year of war with Ukraine, um, um, Wayne, your thoughts on, on on what's happening in Ukraine that's dropped out of our headlines or faded from our headlines, I guess I, I should say. Certainly uh, that war continuing, but the war in the Middle East uh, overshadowing it, at least in the last month. Wayne, uh, how does that fit into the picture now? Well, I think maintaining U.S aid support for Ukraine is going to get harder and harder uh, with Ukraine uh, not being in the headlines. Now, the war is is pretty much stalemated at the moment. I mean, there's, neither side is making very much progress. Uh, but Ukraine needs military aid, and it needs it quickly if it's going to sustain itself against the weapons which the Russians have, the superior number of troops that the Russians have, um, as, as, as the American public shifts its attention to the Middle East, uh, it's going to, I think it's going to be harder to, to maintain it. And you already see the break in the Republican Party support, or part of the Republican Party support for Ukraine. Um, and um, uh, so I, I think we're going to have a sta- probably have a stalemate until after the 2024 presidential election. And then I think it makes quite a difference who wins the election in terms of what happens afterwards. Yeah. Um, In the, in the final minute here, I guess we're coming up on another debt uh, deadline. Um, The the budget rather the U S house has to get its uh, act together uh, in order to avoid a shutdown of the government. Final thoughts from you, Dave, on, on what we're facing in the next, what couple of weeks uh, with that threat uh, over our heads again. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't see how we don't have a government shutdown at this point. Really? That, um, really? 
that the I, honestly, I, I think the the a deal between the Republican majority in the House, the Democratic majority in the Senate, and President Biden seems unlikely. Um, you know, if we learned anything from the uh, showdown over the selection of a Speaker of the House, um, the Republicans in the House aren't super well organized, and there's enough of them who uh, seem to care more about. Um, the sort of internal party factions uh, of of the Republicans in the House than care about governing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be hard to, I think, uh, hammer out a compromise. And I'm not sure, frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in Speaker Johnson's ability to do so. Mm-hmm. Wayne, we have about 30 seconds left. Do you see uh, no way to avoid a government shutdown in a couple of weeks? Uh, I think it'll be extremely difficult. Uh, all the things that Dave has said, uh, uh, I, I, I don't think the Republican Party is well enough organized that the speaker is strong enough uh, that we can avoid uh, a shutdown. Okay. Wayne Moyer, professor of political science at Grinnell College. Dave Peterson, uh, Lucan professor of political science at Iowa State University. Uh, Dave and Wayne, thank you much for your insights. And uh, thanks to our listeners for their input this hour. Tomorrow on the program, you, you're very welcome, Wayne and Dave. Recently, organized labor has experienced a string of big wins. We've been hearing that in the news. Nationwide, support for unions has reached a high-water mark not seen in decades. Tomorrow, we'll discuss what labor's recent gains may mean. We'll hear from a variety of union leaders uh, and also learn about uh, union history in this country. River River Today, produced by Samantha McIntosh, with help from Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.